Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Craig and welcome to another episode of Football Kit Memories. Today I meet journalist and broadcaster Mark Machado. In our chat we cover Mark's career in podcasting and radio, how he sees that industry changing and we find out how a lad growing up in Ealing became a Liverpool fan. During the show I asked Mark to pick out three of his favourite football shirts and tell us a little bit about what they mean to him. There's a Liverpool shirt from the 90s, the Miracle of Istanbul, and something a little bit more obscure from France 98. You can listen to this and other episodes of Football Kit Memories on all major audio platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please do subscribe, share, and above all, enjoy the podcast. Okay, so today on the podcast, I'm joined by journalist and broadcaster Mark Machado. How you doing, Mark? I'm good, Craig. Thanks for having me on the on the show. Mate, fantastic to have you on. I'm really excited to speak to you. So, mate, do you want to give us a little bit of background? Tell us who you are and what you do. Uh, yeah, so I run alongside my good friend and uh, business partner, Sam Delaney. We run a, a podcast company called 1129. We make a whole load of podcasts, especially um, a lot of kind of football content in the kind of similar vein to, to this show. Um, where we kind of take a take a deeper look. Um, obviously, Sam's famous for his deep dives, and maybe eleven twenty nine should be uh, well known or should be well known for kind of taking a deeper look at some of the more cultural elements to football, yeah. like like the fashion, like the music, all that kind of stuff. So I'm a really big fan of uh, the podcast you do with Tim Vickery and Dotton Adebayo, the um, Brazilian shirt name podcast. What's that like to work on? Oh, it's amazing. So obviously Tim and Dotton have been doing the World Football phone-in on Five Live overnight for, I think, near on 20 years. If not, I think they had their 20th anniversary two or three years ago now, actually. Um, And then um, when we went into the first lockdown, the BBC decided to to put a pause to the World Football phone-in, possibly because football wasn't taking place. So they thought maybe there's nothing for them to talk about, which... I wasn't convinced of that. So I know Dotton a little bit because we used to work together at Radio London. So I gave him a call and I said, Dotton, do you fancy doing a um, a, a podcast? It's it's not a, a, an exact replica of World Football Phone. And in fact, it's quite different. They take a, a classic game and look at the music and the culture and the politics and, yeah. and of course, the match as well. And, and kind of look, look at what the world was up to, what the, you know, what the, it might be globally, it might just be UK 
was through the prism of football and kind of what they can learn. So the first game they did was obviously like all, like all good Englishmen was the 1966 World Cup final. Right. Uh, but we've done loads loads of I think we're up to about 35 episodes now. So nice. Um, well, listen recently to the as if Capadia one where you talked about the Maradona film and I really enjoyed it. It's well worth a listen. Anybody who hasn't um, heard it yet for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, Asif Kapadi was um, kind of uh, started following their account, I think, right. on Twitter, and it t- it turned out that he's a he's a world football phone-in fan. He actually said right at the end of the podcast that you know if it wasn't for the show that Dustin and Tim did, he wouldn't have you know he wouldn't have been that interested in you know someone like Maradona. He wouldn't have known so much about the story of his life, yeah, uh, because you know the the, the era that we've grown up in. Uh, people, people like Messi and Ronaldo. Almost every time they kick a ball, it's on British television somewhere. Yeah. Where you know, thirty. If you go back kind of thirty years ago, that wasn't the case. You kind of got yeah. a little bit of um, of the rest of the world. What was going on outside the UK every four years or every couple of years in a major tournament, and that was it, right? Someone like Maradona from South America, you almost never saw. I really do miss that kind of exoticism of like foreign football and foreign teams like do you remember trans world sport on i think it's on channel four and he's like show your highlights of the argentine league you think, fucking hell this looks amazing look at all these fans and stuff yeah i, I never understood like when, so when i was a kid i was obsessed by that uh, by that tv show yeah. i'd wake up my like my, my routine and weirdly my mum mentioned it to me yesterday um my routine was getting up at like six o'clock in the morning yeah <laughs> on a saturday morning go downstairs with my duvet watch that yeah. Uh, then start to watch the cartoons and then I'd get ready for whatever sport like my parents would can't be off to that morning. Right, right. Because um, I think my parents very much took the uh, the, the parenting tack off. Let's just make him play as much, well, me and my sister, on a Saturday and Sunday morning so they get tired out and they're knackered for the rest <laughs> of the day, which like, I think has totally worked. Like It seems like a good tactic to me. <laughs> Definitely, mate. So have you been working in the kind of the audio space for a long time then? Yeah, so I started at the BBC just over 10 years ago, I think. Um, so, yeah, I always knew I wanted to work in radio. Um, obviously, when you know when I was a teenager, podcasts weren't really a thing. They didn't really exist. Right. Um, kind of started in community radio, then blagged my way to the BBC, where I was there for about, I think, six or seven years, maybe a little bit longer. Right. And then I went to talk radio. Uh, mainly because I was like, when I was a child, I was obsessed by talk sport, I was obsessed by uh, uh, music radio and talk sport. And because I just wanted to talk football the whole time. <laughs> and uh, when I found out that talk sport were kind of creating a current affairs radio station, I was like, yeah, I want to try that. Because I also wanted to be at the beginning for a radio station as well. Right. Uh, when I was there, I a like, there's a, yeah, working commercial radio is very different to working at the BBC. Right. Um, but I ended up doing a lot of stuff for Talk Sport as well, which was great. Um, and then uh, just before lockdown, I went full time into eleven twenty nine. So, yeah, it's been you know, it's effectively been my whole professional career has been in in audio. Right. Um, and I absolutely love it. It's brilliant. Have you seen the industry change quite a lot? Yeah, definitely. Right. So podcasts are the major disruptor in the industry. Right. Right. Um, the the other thing that's happened to to kind of go to, to drill into it a little bit, it's particularly in, in commercial radio, is that the advertising, the old kind of, the, the old model was that you started something. Yeah. And if you built an audience, advertisers would come 
and you'll be able to monetize it. People don't really talk about this, but effectively in what is often referred to as kind of old media, that just doesn't work anymore. Right. So for newspapers and increasingly for radio and TV, that model doesn't work. So we, the industry is generally moving towards subscription. So people right. don't want to see adverts, but people are happy to pay a small amount for premium content. Right. If you look at something like Netflix, uh, I, I remember reading or hearing about the idea of Netflix and, and basically someone going, you're going to pay a subscription every month, but you're going to have really great content whenever you want it. Right. And I was like, well, why would anyone ever do that? Just like, just pay for Sky. Yeah. But then actually kind of what, 10 years later, that is the way the world's going, right? And actually yeah. Sky Television, Sky TV seems a little bit archaic now. And that's where the, why the industry is moving. I don't know whether it's just the time that I've been in the industry that there's been so much change in yeah. terms of the way people, and when I say industry, I mean the way people consume content, right? Or whether um, it's always like this, whether, you know, between, like say if you went from the 1950s to 1960s, whether there was this amount of change in that amount of time as well. Yeah. Um, I, th I think people though do have, appear to have an insatiable appetite for content and they're always looking for something new. Um, the, one, the one thing I do, the two things that have also happened is that there's been a, a prolification almost of, of different channels. So if you look at how, you know, TalkSport is a good example, it started off as just, well, obviously it started off originally as talk radio, became morphed into TalkSport and then it's become, you know, TalkSport, talk, uh, talk Radio, TalkSport 2, yeah. Um, and they they also at that point kind of grew Virgin, Mead Radio and stuff like that and, and it you know brands become bigger if you look at like Radio 1 there's like Radio 1 1 Extra 1 Dance yeah, and yeah. all this kind of stuff but I and I can see what, what the temptation is to do that but also I th the other the, one of the sad things with that happening and this happens in TV as well is those big national moments that you know used to go into the playground and talk about the next day and go did you watch this and I'm going yeah, we watched this. So, you know, I remember when I was a kid and Phil Mitchell got shot, for example, it was like, a. Bit, did you watch it? And if you didn't watch it, you either felt left out or you had to you had to have a bloody good def reason and defence why you didn't like EastEnders in your house. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that, that's what we've lost. But the one area where that still exists is sport and in particular football, right? Because yeah. it's such a big cultural thing now um, that we all come in on, on a on a Friday morning when we, you know, we used to be able to go to work and school and stuff like that and go, did you see Liverpool lose to Manchester United last night? What do you think of the free kick? What do you think of Bruno Fernandes? What do you think of, you know, Reese Williams, all that, all that stuff, that those moments of kind of national unity almost um, are, are back together. That's really interesting, mate. It's a really good point. I guess like as well, like having worked like professionally in the industry for a long time, what do you think of kind of like, you know, like a bedroom podcaster like me kind of doing stuff like that? Does that bother you guys professionally? Do you think that it seems to be a more democratised thing, open to all, but there's a lot of people making content out there that isn't up to scratch, perhaps? So so for me, I actually love it. I think that's brilliant. I think that's the, um, the best part of the medium is the fact that anyone can do it. I think... I, I look back, I look back, uh, you know, I look at, you know, I talked about how quickly the, in, the industry seems to be changing. And obviously the massive driver of that is the accessibility of technology. Yeah. And I think there's a, I, this is going to sound slightly political and I, it's, it's not intended to, 
but essentially i think from generation to generation uh, we like to within our within our families or within you know just among our circle we like to see kind of uh improvement in quality of life yeah so for example the first generation after the war aspired to own their own home and then there was a generation that wanted their home own home and and a a television set and possibly be able to learn to drive and then there was a generation that wanted to drive tv a home and then do, do you see what i'm going with that and i think yeah, sometimes yeah. especially around the discourse the political discourse that we've had in the uk there's almost like a uh pe people seem to think that actually that the their kids their younger generation um aren't able to achieve what they've achieved but actually i i dispute that claim because i think actually technology the fact now that we all walk around with a thousand pound piece of kit in terms of our phone just hanging out of our pocket yeah it is an incredible thing and i think you know one of the things we're able to do by having this technology all consumed you know tiny amount of uh into a tiny handset is create things like a podcast you know within you know you could record something in your bedroom and within minutes have it edited and, and go you know someone could be listened to in any part of the world you probably listen yeah. to it in space i'd imagine yeah. and i think that's absolutely amazing and i think that's what's going to drive change in the world and make the world a better place to live and and, and bring the world closer together right Oh, mate, that's really interesting. There's social science on the pod. Never had that before. You've you've raised the bar <laughs> academically, mate. Thanks very much. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so um, I wanted to ask you as well about the podcast that you do with Paul Danan. I'm a big fan of that, The Morning After. W what's he like to work with? Paul is lovely. Um, he's one of the nicest people in the world possible. Um, he's It's obviously well documented, which you listen to the podcast, that he's got a lot of um personal issues i mean he talks that's essentially what the podcast is about right he's a he's a recovering addict he's been in rehab i think 27 times now uh when we started the podcast which was approaching two years i think in march or april um he'd only been in rehab 22 times right so working with him is brilliant but obviously they are moments where it can be a challenge yeah um but that's part of, of what it is right so with that podcast it's not just about putting something out for people to listen to it's also hopefully and i know a few people who got in touch with us who listen to it regularly do tell us this it's meant to be a bit of a uh you, you know a journey through addiction and uh, and yeah. you know it might hopefully it's helping some people out because it's about mental health it's about the arts and it's about how you know it's about knowing that there is other people out there who have exactly the same issues as you yeah and you know you are not alone yeah do you know what i really like about it i think it's very candid as, as i mentioned but i think as well like there are episodes that are hilarious and episodes of really funny stories you get amazing guests on as well but there are also episodes that are quite dark and i think it's the kind of honesty of that podcast that i really enjoy and i know you you know we mentioned off air that it's been really successful as well hasn't it yeah, yeah, it gets a lot of, um, it's got a lot of attention over the last year or so. Um, it's, as you say, it, it's very warts and all, right? It's never, it's never contrived. It's never, um, we, most, most of the time going into it, we absolutely have no idea what we're going to talk about. Uh, sometimes when his anxiety gets the better of him, he'll be on the phone to me going, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to talk about? I'm like, I don't know. Just get like, let's switch, you know, switch on the record and just go for it. Um, I think we're approaching a hundred episodes now. Right. Um, it's yeah. It it's a, it's a. Uh, 
you're never meant to say this, but it's not for everyone. But also, actually, I think it is for everyone because I think it is warts and all, isn't it? And it is like this is the roller coaster of the motions of life. Sometimes, yeah. as you say, you know, we'll record and Paul's in great form and he's funny and he's hilarious and, I, you know, we, we get some great stories out. Um, and then other times, and you can, we record and you can just tell that he's not in a good place. Well, I mean, I, I'd recommend to everyone to listen to that and subscribe to the podcast. I really enjoy it myself, mate. Um, so, mate, the last question I want to ask you on your career, I did a bit of Googling, obviously, did a bit of research, and I assume that you're familiar that you have a namesake on the west coast of America, Tattoo Art. I am, yes. Yeah. Mr. Cartoon, he's called, he's, he's actually called Mark Machado, he's got the same name. And yeah. He designed the Cypress Hill logo, and he's tattooed everybody in hip-hop, so like, 50 Cent, Eminem, Dr. Dre, all those guys, as well as Freddie Lundberg. So there is a football link there as well. Oh, I, d- I didn't realise he'd done Freddie Lundberg. That's pretty yeah. cool. Uh, yeah, so he is a thousand times more successful than I will ever be. <laughs> he has achieved everything I ever wanted to achieve uh, by being <laughs> friends with just about every hip-hop artist in the world. Yeah. Um, also, th- there's a great documentary about him on Netflix, ah. um, which I highly recommend watching. So... They, so what he did is he is part of a movement right at the forefront of a movement where they essentially met, brought in kind of Mexican uh, Latin culture into the kind of mainstream right. off, of, off not just American, but I suppose kind of wider hip hop culture that's kind of all over the world. So what they, you know, he, he's a, he is a tattoo artist. He's an artist by profession who transitioned to tattooing, which I yeah. suppose everyone did because you're not born a natural tattoo artist. Yeah. But then he's kind of, you know, he's developed on for that. He's he's a he's a creative director as well. I right. would love to meet him. I'd love him to to get a t- like maybe a big old Mark Machado tattoo <laughs> on me somewhere as well. Um, One day. It's, yeah, Machado is quite a strange name to have in the UK because in the Spanish speaking world and Portuguese speaking world, it's a very popular name. It's like being called. Uh, Smith, Smith in the UK, right? right? But obviously, in in England or in you know in Britain, we don't have that many uh, Spanish speakers. So Machado is is considered quite exotic over here. But actually, it's pretty bog standard, which is why he probably goes by the name Mister Cartoon. I'd imagine. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So, should we talk about some football shirts? Yeah, man, let's do this. So, mate, I, I guess like the general question before we, we talk about the three shirts you've picked is uh, what do football shirts mean to you? Are you a collector, a buyer, an admirer? I'll be honest, I've like every few years I reassess my relationship with football shirts, right? Right. So I used to, when, when I was a kid, and I know we're going to talk about this in a bit, but I, when I got my first Liverpool shirt, I basically lived in it from, I think I must have been, how old have I been? About nine or ten yeah. when I got it. And I didn't take it off till I think I was about 12 or 13. Right. Uh, when I started to realise the existence of women. And, <laughs> um, they don't like football shirts at that age, unfortunately. No, no, they're, they're not as into it as, as uh, other, you know, as men are, I suppose. I'd, uh, I'd say in general, my kind of dress sense is there's like basically sports wear, T-shirts, uh, tracksuit bottoms or, and jeans like that's it like that's pretty much everything that's in my cupboard in during lockdown i think i've managed to avoid wearing anything with a button on <laughs> any sort of button shirt for for about 12 months now which is amazing um sometimes i think football shirts are amazing and i want to wear them all the time yeah and then i'll go through periods where i'll be like Do you know what it's a little bit naff for a man in his 30s to wear a football shirt yeah um the last i think i've i've got quite a lot I've got I've got quite a lot of Liverpool shirts I generally tend to be given them by my family members for Christmas or oh, nice. or birthdays um, mainly because they don't can't think of anything else to buy me right um, in terms of collecting I would I would love to collect shirts to be honest but my my real collecting passion is comic books and I spend too much money collecting comic books um, and aware it's a bit of a like I'd say as in terms of investment collecting football shirts is probably I'd imagine probably a better thing to invest in than comic books because most comic books you buy for about four quid and end up being valued about less than 50p within, within oh, right. six months so fair enough it sounds like they're a lot more expensive to collect football shirts you're probably doing the best thing mate keep away from it 
Yeah, well, the thing is, right, you, you, like, you, you're probably right, but, oh, uh, yeah, comics tend to spiral because you end up buying, if you, oh, God, I can't believe we're talking about comic books, but basically, <laughs> if you're having, a, like, a, a good week, if um, if Marvel and Co have really done done a good job with their marketing, I suppose you, right. up, you could end up buying like fifteen twenty books a week. Oh, so wow. yeah, yeah. Wow. So you it's... got you got to, you got to like rein it in and not let it get out of control. So right, mate. Let's talk about your first shirt. So we touched on it just there a minute ago. It's the Liverpool home shirt from ninety five to ninety six season. It's by Adidas. Yeah. So um, this is my first ever shirt. Right. Um, that my parents bought me. I begged and 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 begged them to get me a Liverpool shirt. So what what uh, my first kind of so my my dad's from Sri Lanka, my mum's from India. Right. And as you can imagine, having you know that kind of cultural background at home, they weren't that I I don't want to say they they don't they dislike football. That's not true. And in fact, if anything, they've kind of grown to appreciate it. But that football wasn't a natural thing for them okay um it took me having to go to school um and <clears throat> basically the other kids i suppose were just like yeah football's amazing i remember being a very young child whenever i'd see football on tv my thought was i want to like this right. but i don't obviously when you're like five you know when you're six or seven years old you just don't have the the patience to be able to sit through a 90 minute game yeah. Especially if you know, especially if you're not seeing your parents doing, especially if there's kind of no one in the house possibly to 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 show you what's going on. Yeah. But I was I got obsessed by it from a very young age. I got obsessed by uh, collecting stickers. I um I'm not I don't want to say I'm like any sort of you know I'm I'm not an any sort of any, anywhere near like an elite level athlete. But in my kind of class, I was all right at playing sport. Okay. So I kind of wasn't the last kid picked, um, which I think kind of helped. Uh, helped and then when the school holidays came about where so I grew up in Ealing there right. was QPR were running a camp for kids um, during the holidays and a lot of my friends were going on it so I, I asked my parents if I could go on it got sent on it got there and I didn't have I was just turning up I must have been quite young I must have been about seven or eight I think yeah. and I was just turning up in whatever my mum dressed me up in that morning <laughs> and I had a little pair of football boots and took my lunch in and was having a great old time. Um, but all the other kids have kits and stuff like that, you know, and, and were like fully, fully bought into it. Yeah. So eventually I managed to persuade my parents to get it. And luckily for me, the year that I, that they did it, which was 95, 96 season was Liverpool's hundredth anniversary. Ah, oh, right. Okay. I didn't know that. It's a centenary. Yeah. Right. So, so that's why this kit is, has a special kind of white, almost cricket collar. Yeah. Um, and also has uh, the emblem is yeah it's in a bigger kind of shield like a special kind of crest thing I guess and and also there's kind of kind of mesh netting kind of on the shirt isn't there yeah at the time I'll, I'll be honest the first time I saw it I was like oh I just wanted I I, I didn't realize at that stage of my life that football teams and actually maybe this is around the time when getting into getting into changing football kits. On, a, on an annual basis was a really became a really key part of a club's uh marketing strategy yeah um that they changed their kit so i was expected to like basically go to the shop and get the the classic kind of adidas kit with uh carlsberg at the front and the three stripes on the side yeah, but yeah. then you know we got there there was this new kit um which 
I was like, all right, yeah, if this is what they're playing in, like, let's do this. Yeah. And then I basically fell madly deeply in love with that shirt, that particular one that I was wearing every day of my life. And I think my mom couldn't wash it quick enough. <laughs> um, and it was only ever to be washed when I was asleep. <laughs> so why, why, why Liverpool then? Did you just like the shirt? Or was there a bigger connection there with the club already? So what happened was, and I remember this relatively clearly, actually, when I think it must have been about six or seven, somebody asked me what football team I supported. Right. And because no one in my house had shown any inclination to football, I had absolutely no idea. I didn't know. I probably, probably at that stage, I wouldn't have been able to name you three or four football clubs. Okay. Um, so, but my cousin, who's about 10 years older than me, uh, went to the same school as me. And I think at half, um, not half time, at lunchtime or after school, I saw him and I just asked him what team, like, what team do I support? Like, somebody, I, I told him what had happened and he said, oh, you support Liverpool? Yeah. And then that was it. Um, job done. It was his, yeah, job done. So there's no, I'd love to say that my, you know, I I was at a, a match and I fell in love with them or yeah. I saw Kenny Dugleish or Robbie Fowler or Steve McRadderman in a shop and he said, you son, I'm meant to support Liverpool. Yeah. Like, it wasn't anything, like there's no romantic story like that. It was just my cousin told me you support Liverpool. Ironically now, he's a Brentford season ticket holder and goes week in, well, he would do obviously if we weren't in lockdown, go yeah. week in, week out and, and Liverpool has now become a very distant second team for him. Ah, but, interesting. Yeah. And how thankful are you these days that it isn't Brentford or QPR, what could have been, you know? Yeah, do you know what though, right? It's very, I think, it's a very different experience, obviously, being from West London and supporting. So most of the kids when I was growing up in my in my class supported the two biggest teams in my class would have been Manchester United and Arsenal. Right. And then Liverpool, I think there's about two or three of us who supported Liverpool. And then um a few of the a few of the kids supported QPR, like maybe two or three, and almost no one supported Brentford, even though from my school you could walk to Brentford in about twenty like you could walk oh, to Griffin right. Park. In about twenty minutes, I think it's a, it's a very different experience supporting um, your local side to supporting a club that's that's much bigger and further away. And sometimes I, I do I don't want to say regret because I think regret's the wrong word because obviously you know Liverpool fans have had it much better than most fans that have over the last you know forever yeah. basically. And you know QPR and Brentford have all had moments where they their very existence of the club has been questioned. So I don't want to be like, oh, it's much better to support your local side. But yeah. there is definitely value in supporting your local team. Um, and I, I, I do, I I don't know, maybe it's because I'm not a child and, and not with, with young kids anymore, but I do think that more and more people are tending to, to be more passionate about their local team. A good example of this actually was in the last championship playoff when Brentford played Fulham. Right. Um, I was in the pub. It was, you know, in in that kind of what now seems like a two week window when pubs were still open <laughs> between the first lockdown and going into whatever tier we I went into. So much. What two weeks that was? Oh, well, best two weeks of my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we, I was in the, I was in a pub in Ealing Broadway, and there was so obviously Fulham's a relatively local side as well, and there was quite a lot of people supporting Brentford in that pub as their second team and there was a there was a lot of kind of local passions I suppose were were were, were on fire yeah it's nice to see happened. Yeah. yeah nice to see so mate we, we're going to move forward now for your second shirt moving uh, to a very very successful period for Liverpool much more successful 
I think that previous shirt era. It's the 0405 home shirt by Reebok, uh, and it's the Istanbul shirt, mate. Tell me more. Oh, God. I, I love this shirt because, obviously, for me, obviously, Liverpool have gone on to win the Champions League again, get to other finals, and, and also now the Premier League. Yeah. But I think this this came this happened when i was 19 years old i was up at university in in, in aberdeen and i watched the istanbul final in the night before my last exam oh, wow. of my first year at uni right. um which in in my friend's room and i remember at half time it was 3-0 and my my mate paul who who i ended up living with afterwards who was next door to me in halls he he's from Glasgow, massive Celtic fan, knows a lot more about football um, than I do, played a lot more football than I have. And he, he just said at halftime, he's like, damage limitation. This can't, like, <laughs> the, the Liverpool got, you know, they, they've got to try and not get absolutely hammered. And at that moment, that was probably, it, it was weird, right? Because in my mind, I was like, yeah, you're right. And then within about 20 seconds, I was like, do you know what? Nah, fuck it. Go, just go, have a go. Yeah, like yeah. just throw everything you've got at it. What's the point of being, of being there and just yeah. going? Do you know what? We're just going to close down. I might as well. I would have preferred them at that point to have lost seven nil than not to have a go. Hundred um, percent. I mean, Jimmy Traore won the Champions League. Mate, I, I looked at that team and I just think that is not a vintage Liverpool team. There's some really good players in it. Don't get me wrong. And they spent a lot of money that previous summer. I looked up as well, but. There are players that should not have been anywhere near that Champions League final, aren't there? I I, I still can't fathom how Jim Drury is a Champions League winner. <laughs> <laughs> like but that makes it all the more sweeter, right? That's why it's special. That's why it's an incredible memory, I think. Yeah. When you when you look at when, when Liverpool won it a couple of years ago now, what in twenty nineteen? Mm. Um, you look at they get so there's a it's a more linear path, right? Yeah. So Klopp takes over Klopp gets them to the Europa League final. It doesn't quite work out. They're in the Champions League. They get to the they get to the final the first year, but they've got um, so midway through midway through their run to the to their first Champions League final, he brings in Van Dijk, comes into the side, shores up to the fence. Yeah. They get to the final. The goalkeeper is a nightmare. Um, Salah has to go off injured. They get back the next year. They've now bought the best goalkeeper they possibly can buy, and he's in goal. So. They, they fix that problem and Salah scores in the first minute. So the game is effectively killed off really early on. It's a very efficient way of doing it. Yeah. They, like, I'm not saying that I I wasn't happy about them winning it. I, I was incredibly happy about them winning it. It was a relief. But the way they won it in 2005 when I was basically, would have been happy with them finishing fourth in the league, which they didn't. They finished fifth. Yeah. Um, and then, well, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and then Everton, yeah, that's from a Liverpool perspective, that's quite funny as well because uh, there was the whole uh, in the immediate aftermath, it was like, oh, yeah, well, they've won the league, but as it stands now, they wouldn't be able to defend it. Yeah, yeah. so uh, UEFA had to basically let them back in in the first round of qualifying uh, for it, so they had to go and play uh, TNS in Wales. Oh, wow, about uh, only about like six weeks after they won the tournament, right? Um, in July, I think so. Maybe even less than six weeks um, to in the first round. And actually, I think next year when they got knocked out in the quarterfinals, I think they set the uh, um, they'd won the most amount of games for any club that's ever been in the Champions League. 
even though they didn't get all the way to the final, just because they they started so early on that um, they played all the qualifiers. They played all the qualifiers, which is quite funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's an incredible story, and it's a nice shirt as well. I like it. So, mate, let's let's move on to your your final shirt. Now, I really like this choice. You've gone you've gone a bit niche here. You've gone a bit different. You've gone for the Paraguay goalkeeper kit from the 98 World Cup, worn famously by Jose Luis Chilibert. And again, it's a Reebok shirt, which is a bit strange as well to have two Reebok shirts picked. What's special about this one for you, mate? Um, so, 98, I'm well into football, like totally into football. What? How old would I be in? 13, I think. Right. Um, Yes, 12 or 13, I can't remember. And uh, so I'm born in the last day of the year, which is why most people can figure oh. out... Yeah, but it's a, it's a, because yeah, it's complicated. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, so the World Cup. This is obviously the first World Cup I can remember that England are taking it part in. Yeah, I was quite invested in the '94 World Cup, um, but I, and actually, I, I I often wonder if part of the reason why I look at football as such a global thing is because my first tournament that I I remember wasn't a tournament that England took part in. That yeah. we all had to support Ireland. I don't know. I don't know how old you were at the time, if you remember. Yeah, same it, age but... as you, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so '98, I was very invested in it. I was Michael Owen. Obviously, had broken through at Liverpool and got into the England side, and was going to score that wonder goal. David Beckham obviously let the whole country down, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, watching this tournament was absolutely amazing. It was the first time I'd probably even heard of Paraguay, let alone either had a football team. Yeah, yeah. And I remember there was, there was one game where, um, which I watched for those in the group stage, and just this, they had the most flamboyant, over the top goalkeeper. <laughs> and the, the other, the, obviously, as you said, you know, we talked about earlier, that there was a, this was a time when you barely saw these exotic players. You were just about to start to see that, actually. You were just about, obviously, uh, Football Italia was kind of in full flow at this point. Um, I suppose coming to the back end of its reign on, on as the kind of king of Saturday and Sunday f- uh, football television yeah. in the UK, um, and you were starting to see Sky. I think we just got Sky Digital possibly in the house at that point, which meant that I was just starting to see football properly, yeah. and they were starting to play a lot of other games. You know, a lot of Spanish football and stuff like that was starting yeah. to come across, but I never, I never. It never, I never had any thoughts about Paraguay as a nation, let alone their their goalkeeper. And you just see this kit, this bright, over the top, amazing football shirt that is so the opposite of, I suppose, of of the way goalies in particular, but football in general, is portrayed in the UK as you know, kind of living within itself. And and you've got this goalkeeper Shilver who who insists, according to the commentator, of taking the penalties and taking the free kicks. And I remember at uh, one point, I think it was um, the quarter was it the quarterfinals of the round before that when they played France. Yeah, they played yeah, it was France in the last sixteen. Yeah, last sixteen, and um, the game was really close. And there was one. I think it, France won by a goal quite late on. I, I, Golden goal, mate, an extra time. Laurent Blanc. There you go. So yeah, quite. It was it was quite a hard fought battle. And obviously, I remember watching it with my dad, and we were both supporting uh, Paraguay, not yeah. because we had any any massive beef against France, but because you know France are this giant big Western nation, um, and, and little old Paraguay 
uh, dared to kind of confront them, and they had this amazing goalkeeper who's a, who's a captain, who's who's a who's a talisman right from the back of the park. And I remember really late on, he goes and he takes a, a free kick from over the halfway line, which back then you just never saw. Even now, to be fair, is pretty rare. Um, and then he was right in the box for corners in the opposition box, and he was just so assured of himself. He was like one of those players. Even though he played in goal, it was like all eyes on me, and yeah. it was he was going to have some sort of impact on, on on the outcome of the match. He was just brilliant to watch. And then uh, he's he's a player I think about all the time because for the next few years after that, and even into kind of a like I'd say the mid 2000s there was a lot of rumors about him joining Liverpool potentially because Liverpool had a lot of issues at the time about around the goalkeeping position it would have been a great fit um in a way because you know Liverpool is is a slightly bombastic you know known for kind of off the kind of crowd that it attracts at the cop yeah. um the other the other reason it would have been a great fit is because it turned out late that I discovered this later on is that he's a massive socialist as well. Is he really? Um, yeah, yeah. So the Paraguay uh, were given the Copa America to hold uh, towards the back end of his career. And there's basically a story that he just refused to play in it or get involved in it or acknowledge it in any way because right. he wanted. To, he basically turned around to the government and said, yeah, football's brilliant and all that, but we need to educate the kids and feed the poor. Right. Why are you wasting your money on this? There's, there's a couple of like really interesting facts about him as well. So allegedly he's punched Maradona and Faustino Espria in the face. Oh, <laughs> Brave man. Uh, he, he once scored a hat-trick for Velez against Fedo in the Argentine League as well, which is just incredible for a goalkeeper, right? I just want to know more about him. I can't yeah. believe that no one's made a documentary about him in English. Like I'm sure there is. I'd imagine in Paraguay that his, his shadow still looms large. Definitely, mate. Well, he's an interesting chap, man. It's an amazing show to pick, mate. Well, thanks so much. Just that's some really cool chat, mate. Some really good stories. Thanks a lot for your time. I was going to ask you as well, like, what's next for you? What's coming up? Uh, we've got loads more uh, podcasts that we we are doing. I'm doing a cricket. I've started a cricket show as well because I'm I'm mad and I'm mad into all. Well, I say all sports. I'm mad into football, cricket, and rugby. Um, right. That. Um, though in probably in that kind of order um, though playing it I play rugby I, I would play cricket I rarely ever play football now that's something because no one ever asked me um, <laughs> um, left but, on the bench yeah left on the bench nowadays um, but um, yeah we, we're working I'm working on this cricket stuff it's called the Murali End so if you're into cricket please give it a listen um, link it or out or give it a follow on Twitter yeah. And um, hopefully, just we've we've got a few other things, but I'm not sure I'm allowed to mention them yet because there's loads of contracts and stuff okay. going on. Um, but yeah, keep an eye on 11.29 Media and see what we've got coming up. So there you have it. Massive thanks to Mark for sharing his football kit memories with me. You can follow me, my own collection on Instagram, or get in touch via Twitter or email. Do make sure you follow Mark and check out all the podcasts he mentioned. Links to those in the notes section. Other than that, I guess that's it. Until next time, I'll see you later.